The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the, against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to, to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man, a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. All right, let's pray. God, thank you just for this time that we can just hear your word, God. Um, may you just open up our hearts and ears to just hear what you have to say, God. May you just speak through Randall um, just directly to our hearts, God. May we just humble ourselves before you and we just praise you for uh, just your grace and your goodness and the mighty works you did through uh, through Paul, God. And um, yeah, we just surrender this time to you. Um, we love you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bailey. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well today. My name is Randall, a lead pastor of Grace City. And if I haven't met you yet, I would love to talk with you just to get to meet you. Um, you know, a lot of this is, and we say it every week, it's relationships. Uh, the church is is about relationships and God's people. As we come around God's word and and and, and see who Jesus is. Um, and so today, I just want to thank you again for coming out. Uh, we're we've been going through a, a series in the Book of Acts. And so if you're new to the Bible and, and, and studying the Bible, the book of Acts is the beginning of the church. And we've been looking at how the church started. And, and it wasn't a movement started by a bunch of people coming together saying, hey, let's, let's start a church. No, it was God. God is at the center of starting the church. And God is, is, is moving in people's lives. And, and it's real and it's authentic and, and so today, Acts 9, uh, verses 1 through 19, is a reminder that, again, this is God at work. Because we're looking at the life of Saul and the conversion of Saul and how Saul comes to know the living God. 
And what we find is that Saul was not looking for God. He was not seeking God. But God was seeking him. He was seeking to destroy the church. And in his mind, he thought he was seeking the living God, but he wasn't. And so he comes in contact with the God of the Bible, who he thought he knew, but he really didn't. See, here's the thing about the God of the Bible. We're we're talking about the gospel. Today, the message is the gospel for the Pharisee. We find that, that, that Saul had all of the right things, right? He was doing all of the right things in his own mind about what it looked like to serve God. But what the gospel calls us to do, this is good news, what the gospel calls us to do is to turn from our evil deeds, but also to turn from our good deeds and hold on to everything that Jesus has done for us. True conversion is not holding on to what you can do, but on everything that God has done for you. See, that's the message of the gospel. And today, we need to let that sink down deep into our hearts. Because as we look at the conversion of Saul, here's what we learn. And the Bible tells us this, that no one, no one is too far from the reach of God's grace. From the reach of God's love, from the reach of God's kindness. No one is too far. There's this book called The Cure. Some of you have read it before. I've, I've walked through it with some different uh, groups, and, um, and we did it with our men's ministry. But, but one of the questions it asks in here is this. What if God isn't who you think he is, and neither are you? What if God isn't who you think he is, and neither are you? And that, when we think of the life of Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, God was not who he thought he was. And Saul wasn't who he thought he was either. But he was confronted with it. And in this book, The Cure, it talks about these two paths, but then it goes on to these two rooms. And one of the rooms is called the Room of Good Intentions, and the other one's called the Room of Grace. And it talks about how easily we can fall into the Room of Good Intentions and miss out on the Room of Grace. And here's what the Room of Good Intentions sounds like. Welcome to the Room of Good Intentions. This man walks in, he calls out to the crowd, Almost involuntarily. Hey, how's everyone doing? The room goes silent. It's full of beautiful people, smiling people. Some of them wear elaborately crafted masks. One man steps forward. His smile is broad, bleached white teeth. Welcome, he begins, shaking this man's hand firmly. We're fine. Thank you for asking. Just fine, aren't we? Everyone. He says, my kids are doing great, and um, I'm, about, I'm about to close some very lucrative deals at work. More fit than I was in high school. I'm telling you, I'm doing just fine. Everyone here is just fine. And then this man's asked, well, how are you doing? And he says, well, to be honest, I've been struggling with some stuff. That's partly why I'm here. I'm trying to figure out, shh. Lady interrupts behind a podium, pulls out a mask, hands it to him, indicates to put it on. 
Others in the room are excitedly motioning, put on the, the mask. Slowly slide on the mask. Here's what I need to ask. Is your view of being a Christian like the room of good intentions? It's just sliding on a mask. Every, uh, everything's fine. I've got it from here. See, that's not the gospel. Dave Kinnaman released a book entitled Unchristian. What, what a new generation really thinks about Christianity and why it matters. And he says, they polled unchurched Americans to see what they thought of Christians. And this is their response. 87% said judgmental. 85% said hypocritical, 72% out of touch with reality, 78% old-fashioned, 70% insensitive to others, 68% boring. Here's the thing. From prosperity gospel preachers to moralistic Bible thumpers, I can say that in many ways I've seen those types of percentages be true of people who claim to be Christians. But what if the message of Christianity is not what produced those types of stats and those types of lives? And what if that isn't the real Christianity? See, we've been looking at that as we've been studying the book of Acts. And what that should be is a reflection on us and saying, is that what I look like? Is that who I am? But again, as we look at and lean into Acts 9, 1 through 19, we can see that there is hope. Because we're looking again at the life of Saul of Tarsus. Now, again, we've been looking through the book of Acts, and Saul has popped up in different places. And as we've looked at Saul, we've seen that in this text, he's violent, he's brutal, he's angry. He was driven by religious zeal. But again, in, in Acts 9, he, he meets the living God. See, in his mind, he had a vision of God. He thought he knew who God was, but he didn't. And then he meets the real God. And it changes him. You see, today's text should give us hope that the gospel can change the hardest heart. The hardest heart. Oz Guinness, uh, talking about the Europeans and how the gospel came to Europe. He says, we were barbarians, violent, bloodthirsty, warring people. It was the gospel that gentled us. The winning of the barbarian people to Christ is an extraordinary story. See, I want, to think, I want you to think about your life. Has there been a radical change? Has God made you a different person? Have you been made new? So the question today is this, as we look at this text, how does God save Saul? And what can we learn about a Christian, a genuine Christian conversion from this today? Well, there are three marks that we see in this text. The first one is this, that God confronts. The second is that God directs. And the third is that God provides. See, what you're going to find is that a Christian being saved by God is truly centered on God. God's the hero of the story. The message of the gospel is that God is the one that's the focus and the center of salvation. 
And so we're going to see right here that these three, three points throughout the text. And so the first one is this, that God confronts. Look at verses 1 through 4. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for uh, letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now what we find here in the, the beginning part is that we see Saul's behavior on display. It's like a mirror being held up to Saul. And one of the things about the scriptures is this. It's written into history for all of us to read. Right, some of the things that we try to do many times, and, and I do this for myself, is I try to, 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 to lighten my behavior and my sin when it doesn't line up with what it really should. And, and so I, I try to make excuses about how, well, it's not, it wasn't really that bad. Right, and what we can fall into is pretending and performing and acting like we're better than we really are. But what we find here is that the 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 writer, Luke, is very straightforward about what's happening here. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Murderous threats. What does that make Saul? Somebody who's a murderer. Remember what happened when Stephen was being murdered? He stands and he holds the coats of those who are murdering him. And he is in full agreement with it. What does Jesus say about if we murder, not only physically, but in our hearts? He says it's, it's sin. See, what happens is this, that, that it's not only the, the, the outward motivations of things that are happening, but, but, but the inwardness of the heart. God gets down to the heart. It's not just the behavior, it's the heart. And we see here that Saul's heart was filled with murderous threats. His behavior was on full display. It says that he found uh, there those who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. But then we see in verse 4 something happens. Right, again, like you could not picture Saul as being somebody who was, was what we would consider like a seeker or something like that. Saul was going in a violent direction. He was on a violent path to destroy the church. And yet, we see something that happens in verse 4. Right? As he's on this journey, verse 3, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this is very interesting. Because what we know from history is that Saul did not meet Jesus physically on earth as Jesus was walking before the, the, the crucifixion. He didn't meet him. 
But what we find is that Jesus takes what Paul is doing very personally. Because you see what his words are here? He says, why do you persecute me? Here's how tied in Jesus is with his people. Is that when he sees his people hurting, it hurts him. When, 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 when Jesus sees that, that we're suffering, he's suffering. When he sees that there's persecution that's happening, he says, why do you persecute me? Jesus is so tied in with his people that when he looks at Saul, he confronts him in a very personal way and he says, why are you persecuting me? See, here's the thing. Our sins don't only hurt ourselves, it doesn't only hurt others, but it breaks the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. And when we think about that personal sin, and and when God really confronts us, it's hard to take in, isn't it? It's hard to absorb in that moment to really see the weight of what it is. I think about in the the Old Testament when, when, when David... Is, is caught in adultery with Bathsheba. And he's confronted by Nathan. And he, Nathan kind of tells him this story, tells him this parable and says, hey, hey, David, do you understand what you're doing here? And David got so fired up about the story that Nathan told him, and he's like, that's wrong. And, and Nathan looks him in the eye and says, that's you. That's the confrontation. That, that Jesus brings, of telling us the truth and saying, no, 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 don't avoid the truth. Don't be duplicitous. Don't, don't be two-faced. No, I'm going to tell you what you really are doing. What you're really doing and who you really are. See, up to this point, Saul had built an amazing resume for God. At least he thought it was for God. He built it his whole life. In Philippians 3, 4 through 6, he tells us what this resume was. He says this, If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Right, this, is, this is somebody who, who, who knew it all, who had it all. If there was somebody who could have known God by doing works on their own for God, he would have been in. And so he tells us his resume, this is who I am. In his whole life, he'd been building this resume for God. But God confronts him and says, that resume that you've been building is actually something you need to repent of. Something you need to turn from. Something that's actually deadly, and and actually deadly not only to yourself, but to others. Because here's the thing. It's, It's not about what you're doing, Saul. It's not about your plan. It's not about your works. No, 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 no. It's about what God is doing. And in this moment, God is offering Saul infinite grace. 
You know the thing about the word repentance? We think it's a really bad thing because there's people that are on the corner screaming, you know, maybe we've seen somebody screaming, repent, 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 and all these things. But actually, repentance is a beautiful word. It's a word that actually is saying, hey, you're in a dangerous direction right now. You need to turn around. See, one of the things that I tell my kids all the time, I say, okay, guys, the the reason that I'm correcting you or I'm confronting you on some things right now is because I love you. I see you going in a really bad direction here, and I'm trying to turn you so that you can go in the right direction. And so the same thing is true of what God is doing here as he confronts Saul. But here's the thing. How many of us love confrontation? Not many of us, right? (laughs) I don't. It's not fun. But sometimes it's, it's necessary. And God is coming into Saul's life saying, turn. You're persecuting me. You're against me. And so next we see in verses 5 through 9, God directs. Look at verses 5 through 9. It says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood They're speechless. They they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now what do we see here? Well, first we see who's really in charge. We see who's really in charge. In verses 5 through 6, Saul is is confronted right but 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 he 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 asked this question he says who are you lord who are you lord in 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 god and jesus says i am jesus whom you are persecuting now now the first thing that we need to understand today is this is as we look at this he, he he's 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 understanding something for the first time he's understanding who's in charge of his life Right, like when we're confronted with the reality of who God is and, and what he's done, there, there's a decision that has to happen. Right, sometimes people say, well, uh, we like Jesus as our Savior, but we don't like him as our Lord. But, but here's the thing, it all, it, it all goes together. It's not like we're just picking and choosing, like, okay, I'm, I'm saved, but I don't really like Jesus as Lord. No, you, you accept him for who he is. And so we see that, that Jesus here is coming to him as Lord. And, and it's so powerful. It's such a powerful moment for Paul, Saul at the time, that he's saying, who are you? And for some of us, we might be in that space where we're asking, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Because maybe some things are happening in our life that we don't understand. And we're saying, who are you, Lord? And, and maybe what that is, is God's grace coming in saying, you, maybe you thought you knew who I was your whole life. But, and you've grown up in church and you know different Bible verses, but you didn't know me. And there's, there's this grace in this. Because, you know, one of the most sobering passages in Scripture, Matthew 7, Jesus talks about at the end when there's going to be people who come up to him and say, Lord, Lord, look at all the things we did in your name. And Jesus looks back at him and says, depart from me for I never knew you. 
you know, that, that, that's what, what's happening here. Is as he's being confronted with the reality of, oh, I thought I knew God my whole life. No, 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 you didn't. Who are you, Lord? He's asking this question. Who are you? Because now it's, it's, it's meeting him for the first time saying, okay, I need this, this relationship with you because I don't know you. Oh, it's Jesus. And now he's finding out who's really in charge. And so in verse 6 it says, now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so now he's finding out not only is it like who's in charge, but how God directs him in his life. And this isn't just, this is like, this is helping us to understand what salvation as a Christian looks like. Because here's what it says. Look in verse 9, 8 through 9. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. This was a sobering moment. For Saul, that he will never forget his whole life. That we can read today, and there's a reason that we read this today. But it says that he was blind. You know the thing about the Bible? It tells us that, it says at one point we were in darkness and then we come to light. It says that we were blind and now we can see. And it's not until we realize that I was lost, I was blind, I couldn't see, that it breaks us to the point where we understand that God meets us in our weakness. See, but many times we want to believe that it's in, in the mask of just, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to, I'm going to work for God. I'm going to do all these things. God, what do you want me to do for you? No, 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 no. He meets us in our weakest moments. See, this is where God directs. God directs through weakness. And do you know how this works into the life of Christians? It's completely opposite from the way the world works. It, it's completely opposite. Because the world tells you you need to be strong on your own strength. One uh, theologian, J.I. Packer, says, when the world tells us as it does that everyone has the right to a life that is easy, comfortable, and relatively pain-free, a life that enables us to discover, display, and deploy all the strengths that are latent within us, the world twists the truth right out of shape. For all Christians, the likelihood is rather that as our discipleship continues, God will make us increasingly uh, weakness conscious and pain aware so that we may learn with Paul that when we are conscious of being weak, then and only then may we become truly strong in the Lord. Do you wonder, what, is it, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? It's confronting the weakness that, that's within us. It's confronting and saying, yeah, I'm blind. Yeah, I need direction. Yeah, I need help. Because what we see is this one-time strong person who is walking into the city going to destroy people, destroy the church, is now being led by the hand. Can't see. Doesn't eat, doesn't drink anything. Brought to his lowest point in his life. Have you been there? 
Have you been in a point of weakness where you said, I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do, I feel lost? I just want you to know that you're in a good place because it's in those places that God meets us. It's in our brokenness. And lastly, we see the gospel. It's this, that God provides. Verses 11 through 19. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go in the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he was praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, regained his strength. How does God provide for Saul? Well, through an unlikely source, through an unlikely source. You see, for Ananias, this was very unlikely. Do, do you see his response to God as God is telling him, go? He's saying, have you heard many, the, the reports about this man? He's, he's done some harm, all of these things. The, the funny thing is that many times when we, we get these unlikely calls to go and to do something for God, we start to inform God about all the reasons that we shouldn't go. Don't we? Like he's, he's informing God, like, hold on, God. Lord, I know you're Lord, but <laughs> do, do, you, do you know the man that you're sending me to right now? Do you know really what, what the, the problems are in his life and how he's caused so much trouble and strife in this world? Like, do you, do you know? In many ways, for Ananias, this was like an enemy, like he's informing the Lord, about this enemy, but, but God knew. God already knew. And the thing is, there's, there's two different responses here because before we see that Saul said, who are you, Lord? But now we see that, that Ananias, he truly knew the Lord. He said, yes, Lord. He says, here am I, Lord. For some of us today, we need to understand this, that God may be calling you to do something that you don't want to do. And the response is, is, is if, if God is the Lord of your life, you say, here I am, Lord. See, a different response. But it was unlikely, an unlikely way in which God calls Ananias to go for him. And it was unlikely the way that God provides for Saul. Look at verses 17 through 18. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. 
And when God meets Saul through Ananias, there was somebody that came to him and said, I know what you're going through. God brought me here. God put me here at this perfect time. Recently, I was um, going through this passage in, in Psalm 119, and, and it, was, it was talking about how um, the, the, the author was saying, you know, Lord, bring those to me that fear you so that I may tell of your testimonies. And I was thinking about just that passage over and over and over again. I was like, Lord, I started praying. I said, God, please bring some people into my life that I can just point to you. Like, you know who they are. Like, you know those who, who fear. Like, bring them into my life so that I can tell them about your testimonies. And I'm telling you, that week there was like two, three people that started coming. And, and I remember like just thinking to myself, why am I surprised by this? Why am I surprised? But here's the thing. It, it was like there's people that just had these questions about God, and I started just telling them about the gospel, telling them about Jesus. And what it was is it's, it's not about me trying to force my way to go out there and, and change the world. No, it's God at work and me just saying, here I am, Lord. And asking God, help me to see what you're doing so that I can just be your servant. See, God is the one that provided for Saul in a miraculous way. And it wasn't something that Ananias had in his mind. He said, you know what, I'm going to go over there and be really nice to that guy. But he says, no. Even inside of me right now, I don't want to do it. But Lord, here I am, send me. And what happens is this. Once enemies, Saul and Ananias now have the same Lord. They got the same Lord. As Jesus confronts Saul and says, let me rip that mask right off your face. Let me show you how broken you truly are. Let me show you that you were the Lord of your life before, but no longer I'm your Lord. That now Saul and Ananias have the same Lord. Some takeaways today. Number one is this. Are you building a resume? Are you building a resume? And, and I'm not just talking about like this religious resume maybe that we see from, from Saul as he talks about it later as Paul and Philippians. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about like is your life building up a resume? Are you checking the box and saying, this is what makes me valuable in life? These are all the things that I've done and I've accomplished. And look at me. Is that what brings you your security in life? Because I want you to know that those things will not last. I talked with a family this week. I did a funeral for a friend. As a family member of, of the friend, and, and, and here's the thing. I've done enough funerals to know that this stuff doesn't last. 
It doesn't. I stood there and, and, and listened to enough families, enough people, and, and, and sat by enough bedsides to remind you and me today that it, it doesn't last. The resumes that we build with our lives, it doesn't last. It's kind of random, but how many of you know who Madonna is? Raise your hand. Madonna. Okay. Madonna, maybe. Yes. Okay. Most of you. Okay. I feel like the, the next generation, they don't know who Madonna is, right? But I was reading this uh, book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I was, uh, and in it, he says that there's this uh, moment where Madonna, who was one of the biggest stars in the world at one point, biggest celebrities, she says this. She says, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I have to prove that some, I, ha, I still have to prove that I'm a somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Do you know what that is? That's the mask, that's the resume, that's the thing that makes us feel like, okay, I got to accomplish this, this, and this to make my life valuable. And whether it's in a religious sense, like we see from Paul, or whether it's just like from the accomplishments of what people tell us are valuable in the world. It's all the same thing. It's we can continue to try and build these resumes to make our lives feel like they're valuable. Or we can be confronted with the reality it doesn't last. And so are you building a resume? Number two, have you embraced your weakness? Right, as we see Saul here brought to his knees, broken, confronted with the reality of what he's done and who he is. And I'm sure that many times, if you read through Saul, he just talks more and more. The, 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 the progression of his life, he gets to a place where he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm the chief of all sinners. Why does he say that? Because he understood his weakness. And the further that we get to Christ, the more we can embrace and say, you know what, this is what I've been and this is what I've done. Because that's what it means to live by grace. Brennan Manning says this. He says, to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark side. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. You know, the, 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 the places in our life that, that are the ones that we don't want to talk about the most are our darkest places. Are the part, parts of our life where we say, man, that's, that's the part I just want to completely forget. But it's in those places that God says, I'll meet you there. And, and you won't stay there, but I'll heal you and I'll bring light into those places. And so God meets us in those places. I just want you to know that today, like, we don't have to hide behind the mask, but it can be taken off and we can say, yes, this is true. But lastly, do you trust the gospel? Because this is the most important thing. As I've talked about through this whole thing, you, you might have come today and you might say, well, I already know that stuff or I've ever heard this story before. But no, 
really, like, I have to come to this. I've had to come to this this week and say, Lord, where am I missing it? Where, where am I not seeing? Where am I just saying, you know what, I, I've heard that before. I've heard that, this, this, this historical narrative, I've heard it before. But no. Where is it meeting us right now? Where is the gospel meeting you? Because are you holding on to Jesus and trusting in him? One, one pastor writes this. He says, God's grace does not come to people who morally outperform others, but to those who admit their failure to perform and acknowledge their need for a Savior. I need a Savior. Saul needed a Savior. We need a Savior. What is God saving us from? He's saving us from ourselves. You see... We can try to build our lives and say, this is, this is what I'm going to build my life on. Or we can build it on what God has done for us. You see, at the end of Philippians, in, in Philippians 3, 8 through 11, that first passage talks about, here's all the things that I've done. Here's all the things that I've accomplished. But then in Philippians 3, 8 through 11, the Apostle Paul Saul becomes Paul. We'll see that in the book of Acts. Says this, I, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's the thing. Paul's life became this all-out pursuit of saying not what I've done but look at what God has done. And your life becomes a testimony where you start to share that with others. And it's not a forced thing. No, it's not a forced thing. You're going to see Paul. He's going to go and he's going to reach all of these unreached people. But it wasn't because of Paul. It was the power of God in his life. Have you been overwhelmed by the power of God? Have you been overwhelmed with the miracle that if you say that you're a Christian today, whether you've grown up in the church or whether you've been far from God, like me. That in both places, you can be far from God. <laughs> and that it's only when God comes near to you and confronts you with the reality and the truth that you need him. That's when you see that the gospel is sweet. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you meet us in our brokenness. Thank you for the story that we've read today, the conversion of Saul. Thank you, Lord, that it's, it's real, that it happened. And that because of what you did in, in Saul's life, it gives us hope today that as surprising as it can be, we, our sin could never outperform the grace of God. We could, we could never out-sin God's grace. 
And that is a radical concept. It's something that, that needs to seep deep in our hearts. Because when it does, then we'll start to live by grace and be a transformed people. We don't have to wear masks. We don't have to act like we're something that we're not. But we can be truly genuine and real people that love you and that are guided by you. And so thank you for how you meet us in, in, in that place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.